Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hey, coffeeis.me listeners. Thank you for tuning in into the first episode of 2021. In this episode, I interview Kelly Abbott from Unleashed Coffee. Does this company sound to you familiar? Yes. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that I was the owner together with uh, William Murad, who is a farmer from Brazil, and we started this company approximately five years ago. Last year, we did a crazy experiment and we offered the company for sale. There are many reasons and you can listen to previous episodes why we decided to sell, but I was really curious whether this podcast is strong enough that can sell a company. And what do you guess? Did it work? Well, if you didn't guess the answer from the intro, then yes, it did work. And I decided to interview Kelly in this podcast. You know, we had a lot of amazing stories uh, throughout the years. And those origin stories, the, the business origin stories are fascinating. And many of these companies are doing great. Many of these companies are inspiring us to do what we do. But the truth is, it's very hard to get into the entrepreneur's mindset. Most of the time when we talk about our companies, we always kind of try to show the positive light. We try to show the fact that how successful we are and how great it is to do business and uh, build our companies. I was lucky enough that in this episode, Kelly opened up a little bit. And when you listen to that, you, you might think that, hmm, she had a hard time. But the truth is, you're going to have a hard time. I had hard times. Every entrepreneur ever had hard times, but we just don't talk about them. But I think it's important to say it out loud that sometimes doing business is hard, frustrating, and overwhelming. But do not worry, this episode is not going to be negative. We're going to talk about awesome things. The other thing why I love this episode is that I finally had a chance to ask Kelly about her approach when she was negotiating. You know, I was on the other side of the negotiation table and I never knew what goes through her mind. One of the first things Kelly did was a research about the pricing of the product. I will admit, I was always unhappy a little bit about the pricing of Unleashed Coffee. I always thought that it's a bit underpriced. And in this episode, you will hear how Kelly approached this issue, what are her thoughts about pricing of unleashed coffee. Not only that, but she also did a small research about whether the customers prefer free shipping with higher pricing or lower pricing of the coffee with paid shipping. So as you can hear, this episode is full of, full of useful things. But before we start, I, I want to talk to you a little bit. Sometimes in April 2015, I published the first episode of Coffee Is Me podcast. That was the first time when you could hear my voice, my beautiful accent and horrible grammar. But that's the date when we started. That means that we are starting the sixth season of this podcast. The average episode is 12.2 per year, which surprised me because I remember that some years it's more, some years it's less, but it means that approximately every month we have one episode. It's an average number of episodes because sometimes I work on other projects and I'm not attending the podcast as much as I should, but then I come back and make up for it. And what's super surprising for me is 
the number of downloads. So the number of episodes downloaded per year is 20 to 30,000 a year. 20 to 30,000 times a year, you guys listening to this podcast. That's, that's fascinating. And I would like to thank you with all my heart. When I started this podcast, I, I never thought we would ever achieve numbers like that. Again, referring to my accent, referring to the way I'm recording this podcast, there is no fancy equipment, there is no fancy studio, just me and the guests. But it's pretty obvious that there is a drive that you guys want to know how to build a coffee company, how to start a coffee company. And I know I, I've been there. I've been there many times when I have that first urge of starting something new, build something interesting and have my first customers. I love that feeling. That's the best feeling of all. In some way, I prefer that feeling over continuing and making the company work. The first year, the building is for me the most fascinating. My goal was always to inspire you to do your own thing, inspire you to work in a coffee industry, in something you, you will really enjoy. And I hope all the stories in some ways help you in that. And these numbers and all your reviews, all your emails, all your messages help me keep going. There are no ads on this podcast yet. <laughs> no, there is no real money in this podcast. And by the way, if you ever start a podcast, just know it. There's no money in it. I'm doing it because of you. Thank you, guys. Thank you from all over the world. If you are listening from all over the world, that you're listening to this podcast. Thank you again that you are with me for the sixth season. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more and hopefully better episodes. So let's start with the today's one with Kelly Abbott from Unleashed Coffee. Enjoy. So as promised in the beginning today, guest is Kelly Abbott from Unleashed Coffee. Hey, Kelly, how is your day today? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I mean, we never talk together, right? No, not ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a brave step and uh, bought the Unleashed Coffee, and we're going to definitely talk about that. But before we do that, I'd like to uh, ask this warm-up question about your first cup of coffee. Do you remember your ever, first ever cup of coffee? You know, I don't think I do, but I do have lots of memories of coffee as a child because my dad was a huge coffee drinker, like just black coffee, always had it in his hand, you know, um, never, ever cream and sugar. And uh, I, when I was younger, I could not drink it black at all ever. So I wasn't real interested in that, but my mom was always the cream and sugar girl. and. Um, as a kid, every year, I have a twin sister, and every year for our birthday, my mom would make our birthday cakes, and I always wanted her to do the mocha frosting because she made it with real coffee, but, you know, it's a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of cream and sugar, <laughs> so I loved the mocha frosting, um, and I, I can't even remember what first year she made that cake, but that was my favorite, and my dad, like, you know, I don't know if he drank it black just because he liked it that way or because it was easier because he was a teacher and he could just go into the staff room and fill it up and, you know, reheat his coffee with that. That's how they do it. Right. Without the microwave back then. And um, he, he couldn't even tell you how many cups of coffee he had in a day because he just kept 
you know, refilling a partial cup. <laughs> Wasn't that a macho thing that you drunk it black? Maybe. I, I just remember one time as a kid, you know, he's his a friend of a family said, you know, drink it black puts hair on your chest. And I said, well, I'm a girl. I don't want hair on my chest. <laughs> so I guess I'm not going to drink it black. <laughs> okay. So you fall in love in coffee after a while, correct? Yes. Well, <clears throat> When I was in college, I think that's when I, I know that's when I really started drinking coffee regularly, but for my first cup, I, I couldn't tell you for sure. But, um, you know, back then in college days, that's the coffee shop scene was just kind of getting going. It was like, oh, this is a cool place to go and, you know, whatever. Um, so I, you know, I started drinking coffee regularly then and, um, it's a daily part of my life and it has been for a few decades now. <laughs> When was that moment when that love for coffee turned into this crazy idea that maybe I should have a coffee business? I've been teaching in public and private school and community education for a little over 20 years, 22 years, I guess. And um, I was kind of ready for something different. And I was thinking, you know, in my 40s, what am I going to do? that's different than I enjoy because I wanted to make sure I enjoyed it and I said you know what I really enjoy I really like coffee so maybe there's something I could do in coffee so I don't know maybe three three or four years ago I started kind of looking into you know what could I do as a side gig with coffee while I'm teaching and um and what have you and um so I just kind of started my research into the coffee business at that point. And the first um, opportunity I found was to um, sell coffee as an independent contractor for a direct marketing company out of the East Coast. And I thought, okay, well, and they were a brand new startup. They were maybe six months old, maybe a year at that time. And I thought, okay, well, um, I'll check that out. I'll see, you know, it's a small financial investment to get going and then I can, you know, start something. And then, um, then we moved from the South Bay, um, to Vacaville where we are now. And, um, I had the opportunity to, I mean, I was substitute teaching when we got here. Um, but that's super flexible. So I started thinking, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go find some actual certification programs and some, some, some things to, you know, really really dive into this. Being an educator for so long, I guess that's where my mind always goes. You're going to go do something else, go take classes. That's that's what you do. You go take classes and kind of explore. And I didn't really know where I wanted to go with it at first. I just knew that I loved coffee and I wanted to be involved in it. So I started looking for classes and um, and I, I found the co-roasting facility where, where Unleashed um, roast and I, I took a course there and I did a bunch of cuppings there. And then, then I started taking classes, um, at, at boot coffee campus. And, um, at some point I was looking for green beans to practice kind of, you know, roasting at home. I'm like, I want to try this. And, um, so I was doing an internet search cause I didn't want to buy, you know, a 30 kilo bag or a 60 kilo bag from some coffee importer to roast at home. I was going to do with all that coffee for myself. So I was doing a search and I came across this little company out of the North Bay called Unleashed Coffee. And they sold much smaller amounts of green beans for home roasters. And I thought, huh. And then I started really looking at it and I'm like, why does this, 
why does this sound so familiar to me? The, like the logo looked familiar, the names sounded familiar. And it was kind of serendipitous because, you know, all of a sudden I started making connections. I'm like, I feel like maybe they roast at Coro. Like I've seen this logo there before. And so I looked it up and sure enough, there you are. And then I started thinking, but, but the name Valerian really sounds familiar. And that's not a very common name. So why would I know that name? Well, so then I started looking, I'm like, I feel like there's some connection to Boot Coffee there. So then I go to the Boot Coffee website. And sure enough, there's Valerian, who works <laughs> with Boot Coffee. And I thought, yeah, I'm supposed to buy coffee from these people. That's, you know, it's all kind of coming full circle. And um, so that's how I first got involved with Unleashed Coffee, just kind of connecting the dots well two things first i did not know the green coffee story that's fascinating because you found us before sweet marias i remember recently we were talking about uh decafs and how to roast decaf and i recommended you well, you should buy some decaf green beans from sweet marias i like them they're swiss water processed very nice beans and you did not know who sweet maria is but you knew who Unleashed Coffee is, which I was like, yay, that's really cool. I did not know this green coffee story. So we did something good with the search engine optimization that you found us before, Sweet Marias. That's cool. The, the other part of that, though, is that, I, you know, I had taken enough classes to find out all the injustices, right, <clears throat> in the in the whole coffee industry process. And um one thing that I knew, I didn't know if I wanted to go into green buying or if I wanted to go into roasting, was pretty sure I didn't want to go into the cafe level. Um, I did, I'm just too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be too tired. <laughs> I, I, you know, started learning about you know, all the different models, right? Purchasing models and et cetera. And I thought, you know, I, I don't want to start working with some big middleman that takes all the profits and the farmers are, you know, living in poverty. So I knew whatever it was I was going to do, it was going to have to be a farm direct type model. And so I think that's part of it too. When I, when I was doing that search for the green beans, um, that was, you know, that's the core of, of Unleashed. And I thought, okay, between that piece and the fact that all of these dots are connecting, like the universe is telling me I'm supposed to be buying coffee from here and getting involved with this company in some way um that's that's kind of where that it wasn't just about the green beans it was also because of the farm direct piece i mean i guess i could have kept kept doing more searches but there were too many connections you know that screamed out at me and said right here this is where you're supposed to go so that's what i did it, it sounds fascinating i i really believe in connections and being in the right place in the right time or even when I'm trying to buy something, you know, and it's it's just a ridiculous thing, like let's say a camera, and I find a good deal on eBay, for example, and if they, I lose that auction, I always go like, well, the universe did not want it to, you know, me to have that camera because it's probably not a good camera, you know. And of course, uh, that's, that's a fascinating story because I heard part of it, but I never really heard the whole story. How did you uh, find us? But you know, why did you decide to? let's say, not copy this model, because you could buy green beans from William. You don't have to buy it, you know, from Unleashed Coffee. So why didn't you decide to start your own thing? And why did you decide to buy Unleashed Coffee? And also, how did you hear that coffee, uh, Unleashed Coffee is for sale? Oh, let's see. I heard it on some little podcast <laughs> called <laughs> Coffee is Me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not a huge podcast follower. I don't listen to very many at all ever. Um, but I got 
an email from some guy named Valerian one day because I was on the mailing list, you know, as this customer from this company. And um, the email said, you know, something exciting. You should check it out. And I said, okay, so I'll listen to the podcast. And lo and behold, there's an announcement that you guys were selling the company. And I just remember sitting there listening to the podcast going, I'm supposed to buy this company. That's what I'm supposed to do. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it may not be a good time to be buying a company, but I, I'm, it was again, one of those serendipitous things. It's like, you know, I, I, I didn't listen to a bunch of podcasts. I always like saved links. Oh, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to listen to it at some point, but I didn't like, you know, start listening all the time. And I was just happened to be listening that one day and you said it was for sale. And I said, yeah, I think I need to do that. And I, I went, I talked to my husband, I said, Hey, you know, um, you know, that coffee that I buy the greens from and the roasted coffee from, um, out of San Rafael. And he goes, yeah, I said, that's for sale. I think I want to buy it. And he, he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> I, I need something to do. I mean, you know, as a substitute teacher during a pandemic, there's not a whole lot of work because you're not, you know, you, if it if a teacher's at home not feeling well, they can still teach their Zoom class. <laughs> you don't need a substitute teacher if everybody's at home anyway. So um, I wasn't working last year. I was just I was working on my coffee certifications, but then those all came to a halt because you couldn't go anywhere. And um, we, you know, we live on a couple acres in Vacaville, and we did a bunch of ranch projects in the beginning, but those were wrapping up. And I said, I, I need something to do before I go stir crazy, waiting for this pandemic to be over. And I'm supposed to buy this coffee company, and um, it took a little convincing to to convince my husband that, that I was. I was going to do this and this was going to be a good thing for me. And, um, but then, you know, the, I wasn't sure if the timing was going to be right, you know, financially. And, and then I thought, you know, I, I really want to do this, but I had to wait for a few financial things to go through. And then I felt like, you know, they're going to find another buyer before, you know, I'm in a position where I can even make an offer. And, um, so I was a little worried about that. And then when we, when we finally connected to meet and you hadn't sold it yet, I thought, oh, good, this might actually happen. <laughs> Okay, so a few things. First of all, I think this is a historical moment. Uh, and I love these when I do some experiment and I don't think anyone ever did this, that they, they sold their company through a podcast. And, you know, to be fair, you know, this is not a podcast which is listened by 10 million people. You know, it's, it's a very niche podcast. It's about coffee business. There are only so many people who want to start a coffee business and only so many people who speak English and only so many people who can bear me to, you know, my, with my accent and everything. So it's not a big group. It's a substantial group. I'm very happy about that, but not a big group. So, wow. Okay. So that's the first thing that we, we managed to sell the company through the podcast. The second thing is that there actually were other people who were interested in a company. Not too many, but they were. And for us, what we didn't like with William was that they were usually not from around us. And our goal was to make Unleash Coffee successful after we sell it. We don't, I mean, I want to brag about this. You know, I want to say that, look, we started this company. We did it for four or five years. Then we gave it to or sold it, sold it to XYZ. And look at this. This company is a super successful thing. You know, it takes on the business model. It takes on the idea. It's just super successful. And to do that, we have to be in contact and we have to help you, especially in the beginning, you know, to kind of understand what we're trying to do, the processes and everything. And we, as you know, 
we always we are in every day you know with you if you need some help we are in and helping you on this i don't think it's usual with when you sell a company to other you know other companies maybe there is some transition time but after that it's up to you but for us it is vital that we can say that we started something important so other offers were not really we couldn't achieve that so that's why you were super attractive for us and we worked on you as much as we can i know that you had these harder times with financial and stuff like that but for us it was the best match to achieve this and you know um it worked out and it's great okay so my next question is you convinced your lovely husband ron that you're going to buy this company yes what was the process of negotiations like from your side because we never talked about this well negotiations are over and uh there are no secrets anymore right because it's done the deal is done so if you can reveal like what was in your head and when do you decide that yes this is the moment when i'm going to go for it first person i talked to about it was uh marcus young over at boot coffee um he's been a fabulous mentor for me as i've been um you know learning about the coffee industry and he's been a great resource and contact. And I knew that he knew quite a bit about Unleashed um, because of your guys' work together with Boot Coffee. And I I know that um, he knew a lot about the Unleashed company because of, again, your connection with Boot Coffee. So I contacted him. I said, hey, Marcus, what can you tell me about this? Um, because you and I had talked a couple of times through email, but just, you know, customer service type information, not, you know, not any, you know, we're great pals kind of emails, right? right. It's just, I'm a customer and you're a businessman. And I had a question about my order kind of thing. So I contacted Marcus. I says, you know, I know you're friends. So, you know, tell me what you can tell me. And he said, well, I, I actually have a, uh, a document that Valerian gave me of, you know, what the sale includes, right? What, 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 purchasing unleashed would mean what what you're getting for the money that you pay um yeah i've never bought a company before obviously <laughs> but i um so I, you know and it's a small business and i'm a one person <laughs> so i thought okay well i don't really know how this works i'm i've been a, in, in teaching for a very long time and i taught um you know media production because my my original my my bachelor's of arts is in radio, television, and film. And, you know, I, I, I'm a creative side and, you know, I never did business classes, right. I wasn't, um, I didn't have an MBA. Right. So I thought, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know how this process is supposed to go. So Marcus told me, you know, he sent me the document and said, this is what this is for sale. And I said, well, how much are they asking? He says, they're asking you to give them an offer. And I said, well, I don't know how much to offer. I don't know anything about, I don't know how to put a, a, you know, value on it. And I just thought, well, I, I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. So I kind of stewed on it for a little while. And I said, well, I mean, how, how do I figure out a value for this company? And anyway, I got in contact with you and I was kind of hoping to get a little bit more of a number. And I think we talked a couple of times before you gave me any kind of a ballpark and I thought, okay. So then I'm like, okay, what else can I do to find out if I can even afford to be thinking about buying a company? I mean, maybe I'm just super crazy right now. And, you know, if it's going to cost me millions of dollars. Obviously, I don't have that. So I said, okay. 
So I was talking to my sister and she said, you know, have you thought about contacting the Small Business Administration? And I said, you know, I forgot about those folks over at SCORE. And I said, yeah, I forgot about those folks. And she said, well, check that out and see if there's anybody in your local area. So I did. I, I, and then, you know, there's all these SCORE volunteers and they specialize in different areas. So I just started hunting through the relatively local folks looking for somebody that could help me um, direct me or give me advice on you know, how to go about this negotiation. Cause I was completely clueless. And, um, anyway, long story short, I got connected with a nice gentleman who is not super into coffee, but he's, you know, bought and sold small businesses like this several times. And, um, I liked what was in his profile. So I connected with him and I said, okay, here's the situation. This is the information that I have. Um, I think at that point I did have, um, some financials, some, some year end profit and loss statements, that kind of thing. So I said, you know, this is what I'm looking at purchasing. What value would you put on that? And, you know, I got some advice from him and he said, well, I mean, there's potential here, but blah, blah, blah. And he gave me some things to weigh out and he gave me his suggested range to, um, offer. Um, and then, uh, the financial things in my personal life were finally coming through. And I said, okay, well, from what I'm hearing from Len about, you know, some things I could put together and offer and the the money that I, that I have available, I, I think, you know, I might be able to put an offer together here. So I, I think that's at that point I contacted you and um, we set up a meeting uh, with you and I and William. Well, my husband and I went out to meet William um, but you weren't feeling well and didn't want to come just in case you had COVID, but you didn't, which was great. So we, we met in William's office with, um, you on zoom and we did some conversation there, but before that I had met you out at, at boot coffee. Um, and you had given me some more information in per- person. And I think I took that information and everything I had gathered before I talked with Len. And then, you know, of course, I'm talking to my husband and he's like, you know, it's a big chunk of money. If you fail at this, you're going to lose all your money. And I said, thanks for the thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, well, but he said, but, you know, you're really you're passionate about this. And I, yeah, I know you really love coffee and you're really into the mission behind um, Unleashed. So if this is something that you want to do and this is your money, then I'm going to support you on it. Um, so that was, that was really good for me because if I didn't have my husband's support, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, I did not hear, obviously, uh, maybe 70% of it. I did not know about that. For example, about the uh, small business uh, bureau or whatever they call themselves. Uh, they are amazing, by the way. If you have them in your regions, they're always there for you and maybe they're not from your field but i i I remember i went there for free consultations i mean how can you beat free and i got some ideas you know for my own business and i use them so they are always amazing um well i tell you from our side or my side because i was mostly dealing with this i had issue uh pricing the company because there are calculators on online, you know, you can actually go there and, you know, based on revenues, you can kind of get a ballpark price, but many times they're unrealistic. And especially in the coffee industry, which is a little bit tougher, it's not like, you know, uh, you have IT product, it's it's a little bit different. 
and I did not know how to value the company. That's why I was like, you know what? I'll be a bit lazy here. I'll make a podcast episode and see what kind of offers will come in, which didn't work that way. Everybody wanted, obviously, know the the value. And some some people did not even go that far. You know that they were like, okay, how much? Let's let's let me try to give you an offer. So I, <laughs> I again. Uh, this podcast helped me because I had a guest, Tim Falkema, who was talking about uh, that he bought two companies. I was like, why don't I just ask Tim? So I asked, so I sent him uh, uh, an email. I said, hey, sorry to bother you with this, but you know, I have this issue. I cannot figure out the price. And he also looked at the numbers, and it was very like, you know, there's potential here. It depends what you are selling to. You know, he's, he, you know, he said, I'm not going to include the branding. I'm not going to include all that thing, which is non-tangible, really. Uh, I'm looking at the business and the tangible. And he came up with the, you know, the numbers which we sent you. And we kind of met somewhere in, a, in the middle. That's how we came up with the price. I, I didn't, I, you know, I never sold or bought a company, which is, you know, my first time. And it was very weird to do it through podcast. But why not, right? I mean... We are always talking on this podcast to be, you know, to do something out of the box, to be different. Otherwise, you're doing the same what everybody else does. And we did, you know, so uh, we did something different. Okay, so before we move on and talk about you as a new Unleashed Coffee owner, I want to ask you about Coffee Pro. So I want to know when did you uh, subscribe? How did you find it? Why did you subscribe? And how do you like it? doing some more research and I came across Boot Coffee and I said, oh, they're in San Rafael. That's something, you know, like a little more than an hour from here, as long as there's no traffic. That's, you know, totally doable. And I, you know, I started doing more research about them and all of this, you know, great reviews. And I said, okay. And, you know, they, they had the SCA certification program and, and I decided, okay, if I'm going to go into coffee, having some certifications from the SCA, that's, probably a good idea. If I'm going to go work for somebody else and I say, you know, yeah, my bachelor's is in radio, television and film. And I have, you know, teaching credentials for multimedia, blah, blah, blah. But how is that going to help me get a job in coffee? So I need to have some, some, something to offer. Right. And so I thought, okay, SCA certification is the way to go. And, um, you know, boot coffee was within driving distance. They also have some SCA certification coffees in Oakland, um, down at, um, at Royal, um, so I, I took a, a class or two there too, and, and they were great, but I was on this mission to get as many classes and certifications as I could, because I wanted to earn the, the SCA uh, coffee skills diploma. This is going to be my plan. I'm going to go, I'm going to do these classes. I'm going to get all the certifications so that by the end of 2020, I'm going to have my SCA um, skills um, diploma. I went to boot coffee and I was taking my classes there. And when I was signing up for a bunch of my classes, they had this great offer. If you, if you sign up for these classes in person, then you get a discount on the online program. And I thought, you know, yeah, I'll add that to my cart. Why not? Because then I can do that. And then the pandemic hits. Uh, I remember being at boot coffee campus the day the high schools shut down. And I remember thinking, okay, well, um, School shut down for the next two weeks. Huh, this is getting real. You know, all of a sudden now everybody's at home doing school or work. My husband was at home, you know, it was locked down. Everybody's here. And I thought, well, it's a good thing I have, you know, 
I, I signed up for that extra little online piece because I could still, you know, do something in coffee, even though I couldn't go to the SCA classes because those were all obviously shut down for the pandemic. But I felt guilty about doing them initially because, you know, we live in the country and we have limited uh, Wi-Fi. And I had two daughters, one that was a senior in college and one that was a junior in high school that were trying to do school, which is kind of mandatory. <laughs> and then I had my husband who's working from home. He's got Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. I would do them at night when, you know, everybody was done for the day doing work or school. But um it was really great to be able to have those available to me to kind of keep uh, fresh in my mind all the things that I had learned in my in-person classes. Um, and then, you know, of course, learn some new things as well. But uh, it was just, especially during the pandemic, it was a, a good resource to have. Is there something you would say that could be improved or changed or you did not like, perhaps? So you're asking me that, and I'm a 22-year veteran teacher, right? The listeners of this podcast are intelligent, you know, so I can I can do some kind of, you know, ad on this podcast and say, hey, this is the best online education ever. Or we can just talk about it because they know that, you know, we build it and your feedback. I mean, I can either build it in if I agree with you or not. So, you know, this is actually a free consultation from a professional teacher. Yeah, go for it. Well, you know, because I've been teaching for so long, it's, you know, lesson plans, lesson plans, lesson plans, and everything has structure. and. Um, the one thing that I felt it was lacking was like, um, like an outline for each of the modules. Um, William, Will, Willem Boot is really good at conversational, I don't want to say lectures, but presentations, right? Um, and he'll just go and go and go because he's so knowledgeable about everything that he's talking about. But then sometimes um, I found myself wishing I had uh, a document to be following along so I could be taking notes with it um, or looking for key information that I should be remembering. And since I was new to the industry, I said, okay, well, is that going to be more of a key thing that I should remember or is this? And, um, and some of the modules have quizzes and most of them I've done don't. And I thought if there was a little bit more documentation to go with the modules, um, a graphic organizer or an outline. Of course, these are tools that I have in my toolbox as a professional teacher. So um, I, if, to me, just because I come from an educational background, uh, education industry, um, I would like to see that a little bit more. But I mean, he's still, he's a very engaging presenter. So, you know, you get sucked in and you to follow along is not a problem. It's just how much do you retain without having the the graphic organizers or the outlines to take notes? And, you know, and that too depends on, on learning styles. Some people don't like paper and some people have to do it in order. And that's, that's one downfall, right? With an online class, it's, you can't actually roast the coffee. You just get to watch somebody roasting the coffee. Um, and during the pandemic, that was making me sad because I wanted to go back and roast. So at some point, I remember calling Marcus saying, hey, um, are you guys open up yet for, you know, I don't know, one-on-ones? Can I come in and can we do something? <laughs> and actually, I I had that set up with Marcus to go to go just, you know, practice my roasting. And and then that's where when we met originally, because I said, hey, well, I'm, I'm going to be in San Rafael on whatever day it was. And 
then you came in and we chatted for a bit. I know what you mean by Willem's presentation style. Uh, it's, uh, I like to have more structure in my courses, but I'm a nerd. I like, I'm always learning that way. You know, I, I always like the little boxes, but most of the, our students prefer Willem's style. Because if I compare Willem's style of education to Marcus's, and I went to both courses, Marcus is much more structured, I think. Willem is more, he is still structured, obviously, but he has more stories to tell. It's much kind of lighter, digestible. So it depends on a person, you know, uh, who, who is digesting that content, what they prefer. I also measured how, how many times people took quizzes in the past, and they didn't. So I was like, eh, maybe quizzes are not that important. I will focus my energy on something else. But you are the second person who told me that, hey, I want more quizzes so I, I can check whether that I learned properly this content. And that's easy. To make quizzes is not that hard. It's just simply people are not using them, and I thought they are not you know, interested in them. So that's a very good feedback. Anyway, thank you so much. And anyone who feels subscribing to Coffee Pro, it's uh, on coffeecourses.com. And uh, it's an online course for a fraction of the price what you get as a live course. Obviously, both live course and online course have their advantages. For me, the online course main advantage is that you can repeat it. So you can go through those classes as many times as you need to, but you cannot practice. You will have to practice at home or somewhere else. Think of it as a book, right? If you read a book about, uh, I don't know, how to make sourdough, you have to still have an oven and a, and a pot and you have to still make that bread, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so thank you so much for the feedback. And uh, let's move on to the business. I forgot to ask you one question. So we are still not going to your experience. But before we do that, let's talk about tips for other people who are going to negotiate, right? So my question to you is, did we ever do something, me or William, in our negotiation rounds that either kind of like stopped you, like, you know, like a screeching record, like, or we're like, wait, wait, what do they mean? Basically gave you any doubts about the whole uh, deal? Doubt? Um, no, I think the hardest part for me was not knowing how to value what I was buying. Um, and clearly that was the hard part for you too, was to come up with the value to, for sale. And, um, and because I hadn't ever done any business negotiation before, that was kind of like my, my stumper. And, you know, without having a, a value, I kind of felt like I'm, I was in a, I was stopped before I was even able to start. Cause I'm like, well, I mean, they want a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars or $500 million. I, you know, that's not feasible for me, but, um, is, if it, if it was something that it was, I was really praying that it was going to be something in a price range I could afford to make work for, for my family. Um, but you know, I, you know, that, I guess that was the hard part. And, and I, when I had asked for a price and you said, make an offer, I went, uh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> So that's when I started thinking, okay, I got to find somebody that can help me do that because I don't know how to value a small business. Um, I mean, it would, I guess it would have been easier if there were, you know, if it was a brick and mortar with, you know, tangible assets like a roasting machine or, you know, 
because that stuff's easy to look up online. You can go, well, what is the value of that? And then you do the depreciation schedule and whatever. But this was, you know, it's, it's more soft, soft assets. And I didn't know how to value that. So that's probably the, the part that was the most stumping for me. But I, I don't remember anything that you said or that William said that made me nervous. I not at all. In fact, I remember um, when we, my husband and I met with William initially, um, and I can't remember if you were still on the Zoom call at that point or not. But he told us the story of why he started to do Unleashed, and I just thought this is the best. This is the best thing for me to be doing is to be, you know, continuing on. I mean, I know that this this company he started um out of a promise to his family and it was also a like his master's project when he was doing his graduate work and clearly this is heart and soul for him and um so i thought you know i i have to do this this is definitely and the story was just so compelling um and i just wanted to carry it on that that's actually a good point so if you guys ever want to sell your company, price it. That was our mistake. That's legit. That I think I I think I agree, totally agree with you. I should have done it from beginning. <clears throat> but it was very hard too because obviously for me the company had much bigger value than for you, like much bigger. But it's unrealistic, right? I mean, for me it has emotional value. You know, I was working on it. I know exactly how much energy it took to take it to that point. If I would price it, you know, uh, by my hourly rate, it would not add up to those numbers, you know, so, but the other hand is the buyer who has to make sure that he buys tools, they can um, continue and make profit. I mean, that's the business about, not about emotions, right? So that was that, I, I know that that was a mistake and I wish I contacted Tim Fokema before uh, and asked him or somebody else, you know, so, okay, so that's a learn. And I love what you said about the story. So uh, again, if you guys want to sell your companies, give the reason for the buyers why to buy it. Not only numbers, but I think the story is also very important. At least nowadays, I think people are more focusing on on the story, like what kind of story I'm going to uh, carry, you know, uh, and I think that's important. All right, perfect. Now, I'm going to stress you out, Kelly, I know, uh, but I want to know your first steps after you bought the company, what were they? And you can just go in a bullet points because I know it was a bit more complicated than we envisioned. Uh, but I think people should know what to expect. So just to give the legal framework, me and William, we had a partnership under LLC, Limited Liability Company, and we were selling it to you, uh, Kelly Abbott, as a single owner. And what happened? So what did you have to go through? Well, um, luckily for me, William's into all that paperwork. So, um, you know, he put together all the, the sales paperwork for all three of us, well, and spouses to, to sign and what have you. And, um, which was good because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known what we needed to do. <laughs> um, and you know, some of those things he filed, uh, on my behalf and, um, but then, you know, come January 1st and I thought, okay, well, well, I guess I have to call the IRS and give them the new address and, you know, update that. And I guess I have to call the, the state of California for, you know, the secretary of state's office. And, you know, I got to, I also got to call for my seller's permit, all of these 
you know, entities where you have licenses or permits or tax information and you have to tell them your information is updated. So I thought, well, this shouldn't be that hard. I just call them up and give them the information. And, you know, I have this paperwork here saying I own the company now and there you go. Well, you know, it's government agencies, A, and it's pandemic B. So <laughs> getting a hold of anybody at the IRS took days. You know, I got the the recording that said, we're busy for, you know, we don't, you couldn't even leave a message. It just pretty much said, go to our website for information. And I thought, okay, but <laughs> I need to talk to a person. <laughs> so it took a few days of trying to call to actually get a person. You know, and then they said, well, because we were shut down completely, you know, for three months in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we're very behind on processing. And, I, you know, you really can't have the same EIN number because it was a partnership and now it's a single LLC. And we don't we don't actually recognize LLC. We call it something else and blah, blah, blah. And so long story short, she basically said I could I could submit a bunch of documentation and she wasn't specific on what it was. I had to kind of guess. You know, and if you don't send them everything that they're going to need, they could decline it anyway. They might let you keep the same EIN number, but they probably won't. And it'll take, you know, up to 90 days and or or at least 90 days because they were so far backed up. And I thought, well, I can't not have a proper EIN number for a full business quarter. And she said, well, you know, the other thing you could do, um, because if you try to go online and, you know, use our online system when you put in the name of the company, it will kick back and not let you have a new EIN number because there's already an EIN number associated with the name. But if you change the name of the company just slightly, like if you could add a word to it or something, then, you know, it, it won't be a conflict in the system and it'll spit you out a number right away and you don't have to wait for three months. And I went, okay, that sounds like an easy solution, but then how does that affect all of the other government agencies where we have our legal name registered. So then I had to start making phone calls to all of the other ones. And, you know, before deciding which route I wanted to go with the, with the IRS, because I wanted to take the path of least resistance, right? What's going to be the easiest, fastest way to get all of this information of ownership changed over without causing problems or conflict from one to the other. <clears throat> so I systematically started making phone calls and finding out, okay, if I do this, what happens? And if I do this, what happens? And um, basically, you know, it ended up working out to, to go ahead and change the name slightly. So now it's not Unleashed Coffee LLC, it's Unleashed Coffee Co LLC. Um, and, but then, you know, then you have to do the additional name change as well as this, these things with federal, state, local, city county, all the agencies that you have stuff. And then of course I had to get a business license for the um, Solano County because we had moved, I, since I live here, I'd moved the headquarters to Solano County instead of Marin County. And the business license process for Solano County is ridiculous and <laughs> way too expensive compared to, you know, <laughs> any other city or county anywhere near here. Marin County was, we compared prices, Marin County is basically a, a good deal, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, and, and, you know, I needed, you know, fingerprinting and background checks and all this. Wow. And I thought, wow, I, I, I think I'm still teaching because, you know, every every district you work for, you have to get your fingerprints. I thought, yeah, I didn't. I really thought I was. Stop for a moment. You said fingerprint. Let, 
let it sink in. You want to do a business in the United States, right? In Solano County, you need to provide your fingerprint. Okay, go ahead. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I totally understand that working with children. You want to make sure you're not putting a pedophile in a classroom. I get that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, with the number of districts I've worked for, um, you know, I, I'm used to getting my fingerprints. I was just really surprised I had to do it to sell coffee <laughs> and work from my home office for, you know, during quarantine <laughs> where I'm by myself. <laughs> But, you know, that's the procedure. So I did that. But anyway, for, for the first, I don't know, month and a half, it was just really chasing down all of the legal entities to make sure that I didn't forget one and, you know, be out of compliance somewhere because I would hate to have my business shut down. What, what was the first thing you started to work on? Well, I remember um, coming to your coffee lab and picking up... Uh, I don't even remember what I was picking. Well, I, I caught my, the coffee tree. I picked that up because you gave me a coffee tree with the purchase of the business. But then you had some supplies or something that I came to your coffee lab to pick up. And I just remember standing there and we were wearing masks, of course, but you could see right through it. And you just looked at me and you said, are you okay? I mean, what? you don't look happy. You should be happy. You just bought a company. And I remember standing there thinking, I'm really overwhelmed right now at this very moment. And I know that I have so much to do and I have no idea where I'm going to start, what I'm going to tackle first. And I, so when I bought a business, I thought, okay, if I buy the business, it's already been started. It's a well-oiled machine. I just get to, you know, jump on the train and keep it going. Um, and I have started lots and lots of programs um, in education from scratch and, started them up and then, you know, moved them on. And I've, I've done some small entrepreneurial stuff before started from scratch and what have you. But, um, I worked for a nonprofit for a while and it was a startup nonprofit and I was the operations manager and I started all that up from scratch. And I thought this time I'm going to, I'm going to buy a business and all that's that startup stuff is going to be done already. So I don't have to deal with it. I can just, you know, roast coffee and sell it. And then I started thinking, but I don't know any of the back end that has been created for me already. You know, I've made websites before, but I've never used WordPress. So, you know, the website that, that you had was in WordPress. And I looked at that and I went, I don't know this back end. I don't know all these plugins. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn all of that. And then, you know, there's the accounting system, which wasn't one I had used before. And there was the shipping system, which I hadn't used before. And there was this that I hadn't used before. And that I hadn't, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much that I have to technically learn just to be operational. Um, so I remember the first thing that you said to me um, during our negotiations was, well, during our the, the day that we signed all of our, our documents. And you said, all you have to do is sell. I mean, everything else is done for you. And I said, right. And then I sat there thinking, but I don't know how to use any of these tools and I can't go out and sell until I have a handle on all these tools. Because if I go out and sell all this coffee and I don't know how to like work the systems that I have in place in order to deliver, uh, I'm just going to end up looking bad. So I just thought, okay, I need to sit down and think, out of all the stuff that I've just inherited, what do I need to learn first? What do I need to table for the moment? What, um, what do I need to do in order to keep 
business rolling and to be successful. So, um, yeah, I just remember standing there that day at your coffee lab and you just looked at me and said, you should be happy. And I thought, I have so much to absorb. Well, you know, I, I met a lot of people who started businesses. Everybody's very excited. Like they are super, super excited about their business. And when I saw you, I was like, gosh, I hope you don't regret this. And I really felt guilty because I didn't want to just toss away the company to, you know, kind of like here, you do it now. You know, I really wanted to make you happy. I really, in the, in the initial negotiations, I felt that you are, you really want to do this. And suddenly I felt that I'm doing something bad to you. And by the way, you didn't get the coffee plan because with the purchase of the company, you got the coffee plan because you are an awesome. No, thank you. I don't get the coffee. I don't give out coffee plans to random people just, you know, because you purchased something from me. No, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's adult coffee plant is like six, seven years old. That's, you know, gives you flowers and cherries if you are good to it. And also I know that you have to have this initial passion, this initial naivete in order to succeed, which drives you. That's kind of like makes you through these annoying bureaucratic hoops or, you know, make, uh, helps you through unsuccessful uh, sales, this initial kind of excitement and you didn't have that. And I was like, well, she needs that. That's your engine in the beginning. Later you, uh, have time to get a little bit depressed, you know, but now it's, you should be the happy puppy. So that was for me kind of surprising. Well, I was happy puppy. I just, that particular day, we had been talking about all these different things and it just kind of hit me all at once. Wow. I, I have a lot of information that I have to stuff into my head. Like right now I have to do it now. <laughs> I, I can't, because the business was already up and running, I couldn't ramp up, right? I had to, I had to be on. Otherwise, you can't operate, right? So I said, okay, there's so much I have to learn and I have to do it pretty quickly. So then I just started thinking, okay, what, what priorities do I need to do? What information do I need to do first? What, you know, so that I could stay organized and keep everything going. And that just, I, I don't remember even what we were talking about at that particular moment when it just kind of hit me and you saw the look on my face and I went, Oh no, now I feel bad. <laughs> he thinks that I'm not happy about this. I, I was absolutely ecstatic. I just went, I have to be able to do this justice. Can I do it justice with all the things that I have to operationally figure out? But I told you then that I know it's overwhelming, but you have to realize two nerds because William is a coder, right? That's his main job. Uh, I am also a person who works a lot with computers, you know, doing WordPress, whatever, you know, put together my own computers. I was always a nerd. I love that part, you know, that's kind of a hobby. So these two guys built this super efficient, I think, um, system so we can do our other things. Meanwhile, doing coffee too. And it took us five years. And now suddenly we are dumping it on you. And I told you, be patient. You will learn these processes. It just takes time. So what is it today? Uh, it's, uh, April. Do you think that you mastered most of these? Um, don't think, well, I haven't mastered the website because I've had a helper. <laughs> um, and I still need to, to get better at that. Um, but I feel pretty good about the rest of it. Well, so you mastered something, what we did for five years, you mastered it, you know, within four months. 
And when it comes to website, let's just be clear here. You do know how to uh, send out orders, approve orders, how to add products, stuff like that. You are fine with that. Your main issue is with the design, which is not your job as an entrepreneur, by the way. I know you want to do it because you are that kind of person, but this is not your main job. You want to learn an Elementor. Elementor is a builder for WordPress. And even I, who already was designing stuff with WordPress when Elementor came out and I was like, mm, I should learn this. It took me a year until I got used to it. And I was learning with Elementor. And William recommended to me like a long time ago that, hey, well, you should try Elementor. It's faster than your previous stuff, what you used. And I was like, okay, it took me a long time because I liked it so much, but it, it, it's, it's a bit different than any, anything else. So just be patient. I guess the first thing that I knew that um, I wanted to work on outside of just, you know, making sales connections was to update the website and give it a fresh new look. I did know I wanted to do that, but I did also know that the website works just fine, like a well-oiled machine. So I didn't need to do it like immediately. So I didn't do it immediately. Um, and then we've, um, we've been working on it together for the past, I don't know, six weeks, maybe six or eight weeks and, and gave it a fresh new look and we collaborated and I told you my visions and then you made it happen. Um, and I'm really happy with it, but I, I knew that I knew that was something that I wanted to do, but I also knew that it didn't need to be done immediately. But then at some point after I had started, you know, working on all this bureaucracy stuff, I went, you know, the website still says um, that it's owned by William and Valerian. I should probably at least change that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I wanted to praise you about, and you probably don't realize that you not only master these uh, tools, which were so overwhelming, but you also built on them. And we are talking now, for example, of the website. That was your initiation. You said that, you know, I said that, you know, it's not my favorite website because, you know, with William, we had to do some compromise and this was it. We both are very stubborn when it comes to our technical and design looks. <laughs> well, you know, we are professionals in that field and I really admire William's work. It's not that I, you know, think that he is worse, but mine is different, you know, and I want it to my way. So we had this kind of like a compromise built. Meanwhile, while you came to me, you had very clear uh, visual vision how you want it. And I was like, oh, that's great because it's something which I like. And uh, I gave you some technical advice, but most of it, it's you. So if you guys don't like uh, Kelly's website, then it's her fault. No, <laughs> it's, it looks really cool. I think it's like very contemporary and uh, looks awesome. And you also did something super risky. And let's talk about that because I think that I have big respect for you. I don't know if I would have cojones, as they say in Espanol, to do that. But uh, let's talk about it. So how did you go about your pricings recently on your website? One thing that is always a stickler is shipping fees, right? Everybody mm -hmm. hates shipping fees. And it's probably because... Everybody is on Amazon Prime and nobody has to pay for shipping anymore if they do all the shopping on Amazon Prime. And then when they have to go to an outside website and they actually have to pay for their shipping, they're like, oh my gosh, shipping is so much. And it's interesting how customers get angry that you are charging so much for shipping. And it's like, but we <laughs> don't make the shipping fees. We just tell you what the shipping company quotes us. <laughs> 
we're just passing your money along to them. We're not, you know, that's not how shipping works. I don't get to pick how much shipping costs. The shipping companies pick how much they want to to charge for their service, which is obviously their right. That's their business, right? So people are always so upset about the amount of shipping. And one thing that is frustrating is if you are a person who just, you know, needs to buy one or two bags of coffee, and then you have to spend almost as much on shipping as one one bag of coffee, then all of a sudden your coffee for that one bag, your price goes through the roof because you've had to add eight to $10 shipping for you know, one 12 ounce bag. And, um, then people, you know, they're turned off by that. Oh, I was going to buy coffee, but you know, I I don't want, I don't want to pay that shipping. So I thought this is a discussion worth having. So I started doing some polls. I did a survey, um, that I sent out to, to our email list and I did, um, several polls, um, on social media in various Facebook groups and on Instagram, et cetera, just to kind of see, you know, um, in places where coffee people were, what is it they would prefer? And I ran some numbers and I said, okay, I could afford to offer free shipping, which isn't free. It's something that I as a business have to absorb in my cost business, right? But where where's the price break for me so that I can offer to the customer free shipping and then cover those charges myself? Um, So I ran some numbers and then I said, okay, in the surveys, um, the survey that I sent out to our client list, um, that was very specific. And I wanted to know, you know, how often do they purchase? Would they want to do subscriptions? You know, what, where's their price point? Where did they hear about us? You know, would they be interested in, I mean, it was all kinds of stuff. It wasn't just pricing. Um, You know, would you be interested in Facebook lives with, you know, tutorials on how to brew, blah, blah, blah. but I did get feedback from several people saying, you know, if there was a specific roast date and I could do a subscription, that would be great. Cause otherwise I just buy 10 bags at a time and put it in the freezer. And oh, I cringe when I hear put it in the freezer because that's you should not do that. It's not good for your beans. But that's a whole nother story. And so I just um I gathered this data. I spent probably a good month um at least, you know, getting feedback from customers, current customers, and from just coffee loving people who are randomly out there in social media world. And um, I said, okay, here's a scenario. Um, If you, would you rather pay X dollars and then have to pay shipping for a bag of coffee, or would you rather pay more money for the bag of coffee by X amount and get free shipping? And, you know, I was pretty specific on dollar amounts. So it wasn't like, well, you know, whatever. And by and large, um, huge percentages came back for shipping and and all of the comments, oh, shipping, definitely shipping. And I even had some people say, I would, I pay more for sure. Uh, A lot of times I look at it and I know that I'm, you know, it's clearly a higher price, but it says free shipping and I'll do it. And I will buy more if I can earn free shipping. Um, just because free shipping, the words free shipping is so powerful to people. They they feel like they're getting something for free, even though they know they're really not because they're paying more for the product in order to cover that. But 
I think then it's like when you're putting it in, maybe it's because when you're putting it in the shopping cart, you know how much you're spending. And then when you get to the shopping cart and then you add shipping, it's like, oh, all of a sudden my budget just went way up. Right. But if they know ahead of time, oh, it's going to be free shipping as long as I put, you know, two things in my cart or something, then, you know, they're putting two things in their cart and they, they know how much they're going to spend. Right. So um, after kind of gathering all this, this data and these, these comments and, and responses from people, I said, okay, I'm going to up my prices a little bit and um, then I'm going to offer free shipping and I'm going to see how it goes. And, you know, if it, it's a crapshoot and if it doesn't work, then I can put the prices back down and put the shipping costs back on. But uh, I wanted to see if all these people were truthful and they're really going to do that. <laughs> so um, that's, that's where I went with it. And then, you know, I, I talked to you about it and you're like, ah, I don't know. I mean, new coffee's coming in for sure you could do, but the coffees that you've had. And I said, well, I'll try it. What's the worst that can happen? So we went for it. My experience is that it's easy to lower your price. People react to that, but it's always harder to communicate the price increase. So that's why I was worried, but I applauded you for what you do simply because, you know, I'm a big fan of behavioral economy. And there's an amazing book out there called Misbehaving by Richard um, Thaler. He's a Nobel uh, Prize winner for this. He, it, it's an amazing book about, you know, how behavior drives our purchases and stuff like that. But imagine that you have a value of your coffee, which is $12.99, which was the price before, and a shipping, which costs $9. Your perception is like, well, I can buy two coffees for that. I mean, if you would have to drive for that coffee, you would probably pay much more, you know, on your time, on your fuel and everything to drive to your place and get that coffee. So shipping is kind of cheap there, but you're perceiving it based on the fact that coffee costs $12.99 and I have to pay $9. Now, if you would have a laptop, let's say a MacBook for $1,600 you're buying and somebody says $9 shipping. You, you would not even think about that. It's cheap. So there's always that perception, right? You're right. I mean, it's totally a behavioral thing. And it is, it's a mindset thing in a lot of ways. The, mm -hmm. the words free shipping just, you know, and, and I, I'm guilty of it too. I'll, I shop on Amazon all the time, especially now during the pandemic. And, um, you know, if you look at the same product that's listed on Prime and not on Prime, you can probably find it cheaper if it's not on Prime. But if it's on Prime, I know I don't have to pay anything extra for it besides what the price tag says. And I know that I'm going to get it within, you know, a, well, it's usually a day or two, but for a while during the pandemic, it could have been a little bit longer. But, you know, if you don't buy it on Prime, it could take weeks, to, you know, depending where it's coming from. And to me, it's I'm, I'm willing to pay the extra two or three dollars that the Prime one is charging for the convenience of not paying the additional shipping and for knowing that I'm going to get it in a, you know, an appropriate amount of time. So um, I, as a society, I just feel like we've kind of been accustomed to free shipping is the best thing ever. And if you have to pay for it, you know, we're, the seller's a horrible institution for making you pay for shipping. But, you know, as a small business, um, you can't give away shipping unless you have enough margin in your product to cover that otherwise you know you're you're paying the customer to take to take the product off your shelf that's interesting experience what you're doing 
And I think that's very important. And I'll be really curious how the data will work. According to the Nobel Prize winning Thaler, it will work for you <laughs> because people think about it. You are right that first of all, it's free. Second of all, they put value uh, between the shipping, the extra cost and the cost of the product. But the other thing which you mentioned that you uh, made a research about how much other coffees cost. And I always had this discussion with William always felt that our coffees is our coffees are underpriced i'm talking about roasted coffee now what was your experience here um when i was doing comparisons it was definitely on the lower end of the price scale and my my thought is um if you have an exceptional product if you market too inexpensive people are going to think that it's not an exceptional product and then it's, you know, more of a mediocre product because that's the price point that it's at. And um, I think that the coffees that Williams family grows are phenomenal. And um, the roast profiles that you created for them are phenomenal. And, you know, when I first took over, my husband's in sales and he he works for a company that sells high end um, products. And he's been with them for 17 years and it's very, I've learned a lot about sales from him and he's kind of my go-to. If I have an idea, I go, okay, this is what I'm thinking in your experience. Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's a bad idea? Do you think it's worth trying or not? And, and one of the things that, um, he wanted me to do when I first took over was give away samples to like everybody he knows, you know, he's, he's got colleagues, um, you know, he manages the West Coast, so he has colleagues in inside his company that are up in Seattle, down in LA, down in San Diego, San Jose, et cetera. And you know, he's like, "Can you ship uh, my office in in LA um, a couple of bags, a dark roast and medium roast, whatever?" And, okay, and then like a couple of days we go by. Okay, I want you to send some down to San Diego and you know address it to this guy and blah blah blah. And, oh, and this guy down in whatever. Um, I think he was down in Hollywood. Yeah. Send him one. He's, he's a real coffee uh, aficionado. And, you know, he's talking about all this, you know, fancy brewing that he does at home. And I think he'd be a good person for you to have, you know, so just send him. A, so I'm, like, he's not having me send samples. He's having me send full 12 ounce bags. I'm like, okay. So I'm sending them. And the feedback that, you know, that he's getting from email or phone calls or whatever from his colleagues and his clients. Oh my gosh, this coffee is phenomenal or whatever. And the gentleman, um, Johnny, who was the, you know, the, the coffee geek, I guess you could say out of all the people that um, he works with, you know, he ended up writing us a really great review and pretty much compared Unleashed Coffee to the best coffee he's ever had when he was in Italy. And like that's, that's the only mm -hmm. coffee he can think of in his life that he liked maybe better. And I, I think that says volumes about our product. And so I thought, you know, if our product is this phenomenal, why are we not charging a price that tells people it's phenomenal? Um, my husband sells high-end material and he's an, uh, he's a regional manager now, but he's done a lot in outside sales. And, you know, he used to get pretty picky about what locations he would go in and open up accounts. And if their clientele or their other products were more in mid-range or low range, you know, 
yeah, they may have, you know, a high volume of people going through there, but if the people going through there are interested in buying, you know, inexpensive material, he's not going to be a good fit because his stuff is high, high quality. It's produced in Spain. And, you know, so he would say, you know, or when he would inherit some accounts and he was saying, we shouldn't even be in this place because we don't meet the right demographic. And so, you know, it's all about targeting the people that would be best suited for your product. And if we're saying that this product is only worth $12.99, but it's really much better coffee than that, then I kind of was feeling like maybe we're not doing it justice. Maybe we need to bump it up a couple of dollars so that people can see, yeah, this coffee is as good as Stumptown, or it is as good as Blue Bottle, or it is as good as, you know, some of these other artisan um, roasters around the country. And if, if we're doing the work that's as good as these other places, then we should be saying that we are um, with the price point so that we can play with the big boys. I mean, if, if we're going to be um, doing what they're doing and, and offering uh, a like product and a, a like value, then it should be priced in the same range. And so that's when I started looking at the numbers going, okay, I think the coffee is worth more than it is being charged for. Um, and I think if I was able to bump that up just a little bit to put it in that price range and then offer the free shipping, that might, um, that might be the market, you know, the, the, the person that we're looking for, for, for purchasing. I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm so glad that you came to that conclusion because I always had the feeling that, you know, the price of Anish coffee is too low. I think William's story is amazing. The coffee is great and it was improving every year, except maybe one or two lots, which we didn't even bring in. If we were not happy with it, we did not bring in. So this is a cream of the crop of his farm. So that's for me was like, always, why do we do $12.99? And you're absolutely right. My first uh, experience, sales experience, which I was like, this is a lesson for me. I should remember this, was when I started my company in 2002 with my dad. That was the first iteration of Green Plantation doing dark roast and stuff. But we had a customer who called us and he said, hey, you know, we found you on the internet. There was no online ordering then, not through our website, but, you know, I, I want to order some coffee. I'm having this girlfriend and she loves coffee and I want to order the best coffee. Which one is your best coffee? And we had maybe like seven or eight coffees in our portfolio. And we were like, well, they're all great. Depends what you like. You know, we have more acidic Kenya or Ethiopia or we have less acidic. Uh, Sumatra, that was how we communicated then. Please forgive me, 2002, right? One more time. So what's more acidic, right? What's more smoky? That was the term we used. And he was like, no, no, but which one is the best? I don't care. I was like, well, I don't know which one is the best. And he's like, okay, so tell me which one is the most expensive? I was like, what? Uh, they're all the same price. So he got so frustrated. And I said, you know what? The best is Kenya. I said, okay, I'm taking that. I said, fine. And I was like, Dad, we have to change this. I mean, it's pretty obvious that we can sell the coffee for much more. Pretty obvious that people associate with quality, the price with the quality. And you are right. If you want to play with the big boys or big girls, you know, you have to price yourself into the same category. And then, obviously, you have to fight for that market with a story, with a quality or whatever. But I think the quality is there. The story is there. I think one of your wins was also 
when you were research, when you were changing your things in company like the pricing and stuff, what I loved you ask your customers. I mean, it sounds very logical, right? I mean, like you ask your customers, but there's many times people don't do that, and I was surprised how many pe- uh, times they don't do that. I had this weird experience I want to share with everyone. I was interviewed, uh, I don't know, like last week uh, by two young Slovak, I guess, coffee vloggers, bloggers, and they invited many coffee roasting companies from Slovakia. One of the questions from the audience was, why did we change packaging with Green Plantation? Green Plantation was using the typical packaging which you use right now, this kind of like a plastic, you know, coated packaging and we don't have any issues with that but our customers were asking for more green approach they were like hey guys you're bragging about you know being socially and uh, ecologically sustainable uh, when it comes to your coffee and that's not fair to ask it only from the farmers why don't you do it yourselves and we're like bomb that's actually true but maybe it's just one you know, annoyed customer. So maybe she had a bad day. So let's ask the people. And we ask them, like, do you guys really want us to change the packaging? And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we will be much more willing to buy from you if you change your packaging. So what we did, we did these, uh, it looks like a can, but it's made of paper and, uh, and uh, metal. So 100% recyclable. And then the other option, which we give to people who are buying on our website, is uh, compostable packaging together with a little valve and a zip so they're both compostable and they love it now going back to this interview i didn't mention them that we asked our customers i just mentioned that oh we we felt that we want to be more green and we did you know we gave this choice to our customers whether they want to recyclable which is really recyclable or they want a compostable which is really compostable and then these two young guys who were leading the whole conversation and many other people from the industry, not the, not the customers, the industry commented on that, that we don't really care about how the coffee is packaged. What we care about is packaged safely. It's packaged in a way that it keeps its aromatics. And I'm like, well, because you didn't ask your customers. Because they do want ecologically sustainable packaging. Asking your customers is so freaking important and they are there for you they love you they buy your product and they're happy to help you with ideas how to go ahead one of my last questions to you is what is in the future of Anish coffee you already hinted some things but where do you see Anish coffee let's say on end of this year and then where do you see it in five years and when do you see it in 10 years i don't know i guess i've just pretty much decided that this first year is going to be, you know, me figuring it out and, and figuring it out during the pandemic. And, you know, one of the reasons that I thought, you know, buying a roasting company right now is not crazy is because, you know, and I do, I read a lot of articles, right. And there's a lot of coffee shops that may have gone out of business because they had to close for the pandemic. But a lot of coffee roasters have actually done quite well. And why is that? Because, well, everybody was at home. And if you're not, don't, you know, hitting the drive through at the coffee shop or, you know, going into your favorite coffee shop in the morning on your way into the office, 
you're still going to be drinking your coffee because if you're a coffee person, you're a coffee person. You're just not going to stop drinking coffee because there's a pandemic, right? So what do you do? You're going to have to start making your own coffee at home. So then people are buying more beans and, um, and, and brewing at home. So I thought, you know, I'm not buying a coffee shop. I'm buying a coffee roastery. And so, and, and because, you know, I can work in my home office and I can roast where, um, at a facility that has put a lot of COVID protections in place and it's not bustling with all kinds of people when I'm in there. Um, I felt, you know, this is a COVID safe, safe for me health wise. And it's safe because people still drink coffee, whether they're at work or at home. And if they're at home, they, they need what I'm selling. So I decided to do that. And I figured for this first year, I'm just going to really, um, at least for the first quarter, I knew, okay, the first quarter is definitely going to be about me learning and understanding all the operations of the things that are already in place for this business and getting to know my customers. And then, you know, okay, so this is what they have been doing and I need to grow the business. How do I do that? And, you know, again, that's where I went with ask the customers. There are a lot of loyal customers to Unleash Coffee who absolutely love the product, the roasted and the green. And so why not ask them, what is it you would like? If I, if I have this idea, do you think it's a good one or a bad one? Would you, would you, you know, embark on that or, you know, am I crazy or whatever? And so one of the things that I was really looking at was subscriptions because um, there wasn't currently a subscription model in place, but there are so many coffee roasteries that do that and not even just roasteries, but, um, like coffee clubs or whatever that have lots of different roasters and you can get on a, a subscription program. And I thought, you know, if everybody's at home and uh, who doesn't love the auto ship, like that has become immensely popular across all kinds of products. Right. So if I think it's great, then maybe I should ask other people if they think it's great before I just decide I'm going to go ahead and do that. So that's one of the things that I had asked about in the polls too. And I thought, okay, so if I can get people on a subscription basis, right. So then I have um, a way to kind of regulate some more of my online orders. Uh, and then I can, you know, see what the demand is so that I can come up with a specific roast date because my, my first goal, really my first major goal is to, as a business become, uh, as roast to order as possible. And I'm really hoping that I can accomplish that by the end of the year. And so all of these little smaller sub goals, I'm kind of putting in place, um, testing these theories, right? So that I can do that. Because if, if I can get to the point where a customer says I'm placing an order today, then, you know, it can get roasted right away and shipped out. Even though I'm not in the roastery every day, if I can set it up so that people know when I am roasting and then they put themselves on a subscription, then, you know, everything kind of comes automatic. And that way the customers can have the freshest possible coffee, right? The grocery stores, I can deliver the fresh possible coffee. If I know what they're buying and selling patterns are. So just kind of learning the buying patterns of my customers so that I can figure out the best timelines to um, set up my operational procedures to make sure that I can accommodate what their wants, needs, and desires are as far as coffee buying experience. So kind of doing the homework to investigate and um, survey and poll and, and talk with people uh, and figure out what their needs are. Because, you know, if 
if your customer knows that you care about what they want, then you have a, a better relationship with them and a better, um, they're going to be feeling more comfortable about buying from your company if they feel a personal connection. So as much as I can build that in so that I can get to the point where, who doesn't love fresh coffee, right? I mean, people want fresh roasted. And I have had specific customers saying, when is your next roast date? Because I want to place an order, but I like to make sure that I place the order within, you know, three days of roasting because I like to have it right away when it's as fresh as possible. And I, I think most specialty coffee drinkers um, like fresh roasted coffee, right? Because it's it's the best flavor you're going to get is when it's fresh roasted. So I guess that's my my goal for the first year is just to to get to know all the operations and the customers and their wants, needs, and desires well enough to get uh, a system in place to be roast to order to meet those needs. Um, and if I can do that uh, in the first year, I will feel success. I will feel that I, I made I made that goal and there, there's a success there. Um, as far as five years down the road, I really haven't thought that far. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd like to um, obviously expand, you know, maybe get into some more um, retail establishments. You know, right now we've got mm, seven or eight out there. Um, but, you know, my husband who's been in outside sales and has accounts all over, you know, you need to get out there. And I said, well, that's true, but there's a pandemic. I don't really want to get out there quite yet. So I want to, work on some of these other things where I don't have to be out there in the world of germs um, to kind of build some of this background stuff and get that going. Because once everything opens up again and things it's safe to be out in, am amongst everybody, then I need to be out there doing that. Um, so I might as well take the time now to do the things that um, I can do without being out there so that I don't have to take away from that time when I'm available to do it or when the world is available to do it, to, to sit at home and do this kind of market research. So I think, you know, in order to make a bigger goal, five years planning, I'm going to have to continue to kind of gather data for this first year to see um, where it leads me and what seems sustainable. And then I can make a bigger growth plan after that. Smart. It sounds great. I, I agree with you. Buying coffee company right now or any company is a, is a great idea. I can actually see that many people think the same way because our coffee pro sales increased during the pandemic. So people are getting ready to start something new with coffee. And it's the same in my case. I bought many more stocks than ever before. I am right now thinking of a, you know, buying a real estate in Europe and thinking of uh, a new business model, a new business right now. Because later when, you know, the market is saturated, it's hard. And, you know, you said that a lot of roasting companies are doing well. That's true. But you have to realize that only those are doing well who are willing to do change. Uh, I was invited to one panel about coffee business in a very early, a little bit like maybe third, fourth month into pandemic, I remember all my colleagues, you know, American companies mostly were complaining about the whole pandemic rather than looking for the opportunities. And if you are one of those people, you had very hard time. You had very hard time. If you are the one who are looking into new options, experimenting and 
obviously not everything will work out, but you are looking into these things, it's your potential to grow while everybody else is stunned and confused. And that's what I have knock on wood. That's what happened with green plantation, that we did a lot of risks. Some of them didn't work, but some of them worked very well. And we, we are doing great. So I think that it's always like that. If you are willing to change the reality, not just lamenting and crying, but you're really willing to change, you might have a chance. I'm not saying that it will work, but you might have a chance. So I think that your timing is perfect. And you also have this you know, time to experiment as, as we do with Green Plantation, as you do now. And if it doesn't work out, you can always kind of go back, right? If that's what you want or figure out something different. All right. I was torturing you for almost two hours, Kelly. Do you have any question for me? Are you ever sad that you sold Unleashed Coffee? No. No, because the reason is, first of all, I have a lot of great memories, and I never had such a great partner as William. Uh, Despite the fact that many ways we disagreed on many things, but very cultural. I mean, to disagree with him was basically an amazing discussion where, you know, we both learned something. He's a super hardworking guy and I miss him that I'm not, you know, more with him communicating and just planning. But I hope we can fix it after the pandemic in some way. Uh, the Anish Coffee was always my third thing what I do. And... I was so overwhelmed with the Coffee Pro. I was so overwhelmed with Green Plantation's growth that Anish Coffee, I would not be able to focus on it. And I would feel very bad that it will go down the hill. Or I would basically go crazy because I was roasting weekends right now. You know that. I was roasting weekends. I was working weekends. And it was just too much on me. And I was not even creative anymore. I was just like hustling, like, okay, let's, let's patch here, let's patch there, let's patch there. So I'm very happy I, it's out of my back. And I'm super happy that you have it uh, and not somebody else. Because again, you have that passion for our mission, which I love. I mean, I mean, we started this company not because we wanted to get rich. Maybe that was the problem. Because if our goal was money, we would focus more on sales. But we started to, you know, start a company where the farmer is the part of it. Not only that, but he's a CEO of a company which sells coffee. It's, it's amazing. I was like, wow, we are probably the only ones or maybe one of the few ones who, does it the, uh, who do it this way. And from listening to consumers, that's what they want. But we did, we were, but we did fail to communicate it properly. We we're always surprised at how other third-way companies show their like portfolio and they like have these farmers there and everything and people are like oh that's from the farm to coffee no that's direct trade they go to there we don't know how much you paid how much you know they paid for that coffee with how much coffee you're buying it from the farmer is it and then they ask us is it direct trade or is it fair trade i was like no it's more fair than direct trade. it's more fair than fair trade you're buying it from a farmer imagine that you buy tomato they couldn't get that so we kind of failed to communicating that, you know, uh, a little bit, which will be your task. I guess you do a better, hopefully you do a better job with that than we did. So no, I'm not, not, I'm not sorry. I'm not sad. It actually feels great. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm glad. Well, I'm glad too. And this was fun. I really enjoyed this conversation and there'll be a lot of more questions in the future because I'm really 
curious where you take it. I'm sure you find things which we did great and help you to, for growth. And I'm sure that you find some things which were not that great and you improved on it. And that's what helps you uh, in growth. And we will talk about it for sure. Let's say in a year or something, we'll see how it goes. We will still keep in touch and I will monitor you and we'll share with other people. I think that this episode is long, but I think there's so many, so much useful stuff for people who are just thinking to start a coffee roasting company or purchasing a coffee roasting company that it's worth to listen for this one hour and 40, 50 minutes. We'll see. <laughs> all right, Kelly, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I wish you all the best and good luck. Thanks, Valerian. Appreciate you having me on today.